Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to The Less Stressed Life, all about making this your time to feel freaking awesome about your life, health, and happiness. This podcast of The Less Stressed Life is hosted by Krista Bigler. Krista is an integrative registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in reducing food-related stress, inflammation, and symptoms of food sensitivities. She brings over a decade of nutrition expertise and playing with her food to the table. From coaching, teaching, writing, and work within a major food company to behind the scenes for a health celebrity. To learn more, visit lessstresslife.com. All right, today I am really excited to be having someone that I've admired for a long time. Her name is Ayla, should I call you Ayla Withy Barmer? Is that how you go? You go by Ayla uh, Withy? Ayla Withy, yeah, professionally. And then Barmer's my married name, so I just like to confuse everyone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Ava, Ayla is a different kind of dietitian, is uh, what one of her online profiles said, and I've like loved that. Um, she's a registered dietitian nutritionist with extensive training in integrative and functional medicine, meaning she looks at the whole person. She specializes in women's health and gastrointestinal issues. In fact, she is one of the very few nationally recognized nutritionists that specializes in fertility, which... It's exciting. Like, I know this episode is going to just be so useful to someone or you're going to be able to share it with someone that you love that you know needs this. Ayla works with individuals in person and virtually through her private practice, Boston Functional Nutrition, and is the co-founder of Nourish Your, Fert- Your Fertility. And I wonder how many times I'll stumble on that word today. <laughs> An online program for women looking to conceive naturally and improve their reproductive health. And I think that's amazing. That just goes so far. So thank you so much for joining me today, Ayla. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you are going to be bringing just some stuff that people just don't even realize about fertility nutrition. And how I know you, I knew you before you knew me because Uh, I bought a webinar that you did for dietitians about pre and postnatal nutrition, probably back maybe fall of 2015, I think it was. I was in that season of life where I was postpartum, really kind of cared about like self-care and things like really just was intrigued by pre and postnatal nutrition more so than I'd been before because I'd had two back-to-back babies. I was helping other people with it. And I remember like I didn't have high expectations going into the webinar and I remember thinking, dang, this girl really knows her stuff. I love like all the (laughs) research that she did because in the past when I had studied some types of, um, what I would almost call it alternative medicine. I studied alternative and other like 
things for a long time before I really got into the mix of the evidence-based integrative nutrition, there was, people didn't back up their stuff with evidence like you had in that webinar. Um, and I just really appreciated that. And I thought, well, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, she must be an anomaly. Uh, <laughs> but I loved it. And so um, ever since that, I've been super impressed. And you know, the world is just small. And sometimes you end up in similar groups and walks of life. And I, um, long story short, our paths have crossed a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And here we are. And I just appreciate that so much because I really love small world connections. So uh, I'm glad to have yeah. you. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, and I love that you listened to that. I um, Hopefully one of these days, well, we'll get to meet up in person. <laughs> it feels like you really get to know someone virtually sometimes. Absolutely. It really, really does. It's awesome. Um, and I kind of, that's kind of a joke on here a lot. I'm like, I met this person in a online, <laughs> <laughs> which would have been maybe weird four years ago. And now it feels like they're all best friends. And the last podcast episode I did was just talking about how, oh, we finally get to meet in person. It's going to be so exciting. I feel like I've already known you, so it'll be fun. Um, so yeah, so you have a couple niches now, um, but that wasn't always the case, Ayla. So we're going to talk a little bit about fertility, but how did you decide to pour more into serving women trying to conceive in, in that whole area? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and actually the, the two niches actually kind of coupled together pretty nicely with uh, fertility and gastrointestinal digestive issues. Um, a lot of fertility issues can, can be rooted in gastrointestinal, uh, issues. So, so I find that they continually am doing kind of both, both of those, uh, work in the, both of those areas. But, you know, I, I think this is kind of, well, it's evolved, um, over the years, probably six or seven years ago, I had my first case, you know, of, it was a woman undergoing, I, I remember it really well, because it was a really a pivot point for me and my practice and the way I thought about what nutrition and lifestyle interventions could do, uh, you know, for someone. And she was coming to see me because, you know, she was, she was getting ready for a round of IVF. Um, she was put on Clomid, which for, for listeners that don't know what that medication is, it's a, it's a fairly aggressive medication, but it's used pretty routinely, um, to kind of stimulate ovulation just in simple terms. And, um, the side effects with it are, are harsh, you know, in the body. And she was coming to kind of manage some of those, like the bloating, the water weight gain, the weight gain from it, um, and migraines, everything. And so, you know, I'm helping her kind of manage these symptoms. And I was like, you know, there's got to be more I can do. I mean, why, you know, how did it get to, to this point? Uh, what, what could I have done to help support her to not, not have to need, you know, um, a medication like that or an intervention like that? Because the emotional physical toll, you know, it, it took on her was just so significant. And, um, so that got me interested in it. And I really just dove into the research from there. Um, you know, not something that we've ever, we ever learned, like, I'm, I don't know if you did Krista, but you know, in undergrad, you know, nutrition, there was no connection ever really made, you know, um, between nutrition, lifestyle and like fertility or the, even the reproductive system. Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, you know, and I, but so it was kind of just piecing together a lot of things. And then, um, yeah, the more women I saw, the more couples, you know, I saw, the more I loved it. And so now I, I'm really um, predominantly doing just that. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, it's funny how like, all you need is one pivot point, right, to really mm -hmm. decide and figure out, and you latched on to what you loved right away. And I, I'm sure that that's very, um, you get a lot back like you you get paid more back when when you get those results that 
that everyone's looking for, right? So you actually, it's a rewarding, it's a rewarding area to be in, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a tangible result at the end, which is a pretty fantastic, you know, thing, you know, um, and in the best cases, you know, it's a baby and, um, you know, building families and that kind of thing. And um, so that that's really cool, um, you know, to see. And, you know, some of the clients have become kind of friends, you know, for, um, you know, over the years, too. So that's been neat. Yeah, you know, that's when you're in the right place when you are yeah. working with people that you want to be friends with, right? So exactly, exactly. So what does your typical so I, I hear what happened, this woman came in for some other things, you're managing those side effects, and then you realize all the potential as you kind of unravel mm-hmm. this case mm-hmm. and really be the investigator that you are and functional and integrative professionals are to really find that root cause. So then you probably started to see some maybe commonalities. So um, I don't know when you started saying you hung your flag for reproductive health, but you know mm-hmm. what? And I can see there was a lot of other things that you were helping along the way, but what does your typical female client look like clinically when she comes in with either fertility problems or something that's really related? Would you see what common denominators are there? Yeah, sure. Well, and I'll start by saying, I think the majority, the majority of my clients are women, although I do work with couples too. And I think maybe we'll touch on at some point, like male factor, you know, infertility. Um, But, you know, the majority of women are finding me because their healthcare practitioner has said, well, if you want to get pregnant, then you need to lose weight. And almost that's almost um, regardless of whether or not they actually need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems to be the one intervention that you hear on the nutrition and lifestyle side from from a lot of, you know, conventional practitioners. And so most of the time, um, it's women who have been sent with that message. Um, and they have a timeline and they are stressed out, which I I know we'll, we'll talk about too, about that and doing it quickly. Um, and then, you know, I also have a lot of women who, um, have the number one cause of fertility issues, which is, uh, PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And, um, you know, for, for those women, in not all cases, there's a lean version of PCOS that can show up. But for for most PCOS cases, um, weight gain, blood sugar imbalances, um, you know, things like that, that are more associated in people's minds with nutrition or having a nutrition intervention to support them. Um, that's I, I see that too. Um, but then, you know, it's it, the reasons for, you know, uh, fertility issues can be once we start digging in, it can be a whole host of things. Um, body composition does play a role, but sometimes not in the ways that you might think. Um, I see a lot of hypothalamic amenorrhea. So a lot of um, women who are really stressing their bodies to the point where reproductive functioning is turned down. And sometimes that can be because of under eating. Sometimes it's uh, over exercising. Sometimes it's both um, or some combination of factors. Um, PCOS, like I mentioned, uh, age, you know, and really wanting to maximize, uh, we work on ovarian function, um, you know, and egg quality, all of those things can be influenced by nutrition. Um, a lot of just period problems, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, I think, I think women are, you know, intuitively know, you know, something's up like they're, you know, this, and I can't get an answer, you know, I'm told just to go on birth control or, um, you know, take a medication, but I know that something is off with my cycles. So I I see that too, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of cycles, I mean, how often is a cycle actually 28 days, really? I think that 
those are often, I, I actually had, um, with my, everyone likes to talk about pregnancy and their experiences and all those things. And I remember I have never had a baby that wasn't induced because the due dates were always off. And I'm like, well, you can't always base everything on a 28 cycle. Cause I'm not sure that everything is so mm-hmm. fits in a box so much, but I like how you mentioned that we kind of know intuitively something is off. And I even hear people going back to the digestive issues. Like is sometimes that my mouth drops open now when people tell me, well, I haven't pooped in three days or there's times. Mm. And I think people know, you know, once they hit a week or a long time and they feel really constipated, obviously they know. But for a lot of people, if they poop once every other or once every three days, like they might consider that their normal and that's not necessarily normal. So <laughs> yeah. you sort of just always get used to like what you think is normal when really it's basically kind of a manifestation of stress in one way or another, basically. And by the way, a um, couple things real quick. Did you mention that PCOS was polycystic ovarian, ovarian syndrome? And what does that look like? So in case someone's listening and um, might want to yeah. know. That. Yeah. Um, some signs of that um, are if your your cycle is uh, longer than 35 days, that, that can be a sign um, that potentially there's PCOS. Not always. That definitely is not. It's a combination of factors. Um, but the hallmark kind of signs of PCOS are uh, blood sugar, insulin imbalances. So you'll have on your lab work that you might, you usually get routinely done at physicals, elevated high, you know, blood sugar, fasting blood sugars, fasting insulin, uh, uh, hemoglobin A1C. So those are a couple of numbers that you'll see higher. Um, uh, and that's, that's classic with PCOS. Um, also, there is some symptoms of uh, excessive androgen production. So that's the group of hormones that are, um, include like testosterone, DHEA. So, um, those being elevated will sometimes in some women cause facial hair. Um, it, it makes, that's one of the things that also makes it very difficult to lose weight. Um, so you'll see that, um, acne, um, hair loss, you know, as well. So there's a number of things, but the way it's really diagnosed, if you think that could be a possibility, it is, it is diagnosed by an ultrasound. So they look for this like pearl, like strand of cysts on the ovaries. Um, and again, it's really the most common, um, fertility issue. And there's another version of that, that a lot of people don't know about, or doesn't get talked about, um, that it's like a non-technical term um, for it as lean PCOS. So none of those kind of hallmark symptoms really, except usually there is still some blood sugar, insulin imbalances, but you might be a normal weight or even underweight, um, and not have, you know, acne, facial hair and all that and still have PCOS. Hmm. Interesting. Do they diagnose that one different or the same with ultrasound? Same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so same with the ultrasound. Um, but actually, you know, this is a really good reason what we were just talking about too. And, and for that, why I always recommend, um, try, whether you're, whether or not you're trying to conceive, um, or you, you know, if you're having difficulty conceiving, I think, I think all women should consider, uh, tracking their cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it gives you so much good information. <laughs> Yeah, we should talk about, yeah, where can people start doing that? Do you recommend like a certain app? Mm. Yeah, um, my favorite is Kandara. Uh, it's 
K-I-N-D-A-R-A. And um, I think it's a very user-friendly free app. And, um, you know, it, it allows you to put in as much data or as little data as you want. And they have a lot of like good tutorials and tips and message boards and things like that. It's all private um, unless you share. But um, it's a great way to start understanding your cycle. And I mean, because when it comes to cycles, it's all about patterns and identifying patterns. So it could be nice for that reason. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very good. So going back real quick, you said if some people, they probably maybe started coming to you initially because their practitioner there told them that if they want to get pregnant, they must lose weight. And really what does that kind of made me, I like how to highlight and put question mark. Like what does lose weight even really mean on the back end? I yeah. Because there's an underlying issue typically, and sometimes it's very simple and sometimes it's not very simple. When you have hormone stuff, which insulin is a hormone, right? Um, so that's affecting PCOS. Like for us, as you're talking, I kind of take you lots of notes and I'm like, oh, circles around back to this or this function because kind of circles around to the health of our organs, which are nourished by the health mm-hmm. of our food. And, you know, if we just have to be super basic about it, right? Nourish your body, your organs, they'll work more properly. Your gut will work properly, um, you know, depending what what stressors are coming into that. But yeah, this stuff is all so linked together. And uh, I know people will come to me and they'll say, I need to lose weight and they'll have 10 barriers. And it's like, let's just figure out what the real barrier is here. I mean, there's something else. This is just the superficial thing that people are focusing mm-hmm. on, but there's so much more underneath, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I think um, I always think of it or describe it really as, I mean, your weight um, even higher weights, excessive weight, like that's a symptom of something else going on. It never is like the root cause and you never can really, you're always going to hit kind of a brick wall eventually with the weight loss and trying to manage your weight if you don't get at the underlying, um, you know, stuff going on. And, um, and sometimes, you know, weight loss, just isn't appropriate. It's actually a stressor on mm-hmm. the body and it, it makes matters worse when it comes to fertility. And it does it actually in a couple ways. Um, I mean, the biggest way is as you, uh, you know, and, and most of the time women who are told to lose weight to get pregnant feel a lot of pressure, like the clock is ticking and they need to do it fast. And so they may not choose the healthiest way. Uh, they may start to just like really drastically cut calories. And that is the worst thing you could do for your fertility. Um, because if you go too low in calories. And um, that's a little different for everyone. But um, I usually set that point at like a couple hundred calories above your what's called your basal metabolic rate, which you can figure out with some calculators online and get kind of close. But you know, just just kind of keep that in mind. If you go approach that or go lower than that, then your metabolism starts to turn down. And that our metabolism and our reproductive systems talk to each other. And so your reproductive functioning will turn down. Um, so things actually become worse off (laughs) typically when, uh, women try to lose weight kind of, especially aggressively, um, prior to trying to conceive. Mm -hmm, For sure. So, um, on this topic, uh, I think you were going to mention, we were talking earlier, we were messaging back and forth. And I know we were talking about literally what stress kind of does to mm-hmm. our reproductive and fertility system. And you have a, there's a, spe- there's a tongue twisting word for that. So go ahead and tell yeah. us a little bit more about stress and fertility. Yeah, sure. So 
yeah, what they call it, um, or some people call it, is the pregnenolone shunt. Um, and I didn't say that right for like a year, and I was like a, a, <laughs> still calling myself a fertility expert. Um, but basically, pregnenolone is the precursor for all of our reproductive hormones. Um, but it, if you think about it, it starts at the top of like, if you think about like a little chart here, um, it's, you know, it's a bucket and the resources, the pregnenolone will be um, either used to make reproductive hormones or in times of stress. So when your body needs to produce cortisol, uh, adrenaline and epinephrine, um, what it's going to do is divert resources away from producing uh, you know, reproductive hormones towards producing those stress hormones. So it basically, it steals pregnenolone. Our stress hormones steal pregnenolone away from um, producing reproductive hormones. That's a much more simple way to explain it. <laughs> Should have like just started out there. Stealing from what, Peter to pay Paul? Yeah, yeah, exactly. End. Right. And that, if you think about it historically, right, like that was, that was an evolutionary, like, you know, win or, you know, an advantage, um, you know, when we were being chased by a tiger, like in times of acute stress, um, but now chronic stress, um, we needed resources to like keep our heart beating, um, you know, uh, mental alertness, you know, allow us to do the, the priority kind of things. Um, and our priority wouldn't have been reproductive health, right? It wouldn't have been, um, and also digestive health, right? Our immune function, our digestive function, our reproductive function, that all gets turned down when our stress hormones are up. Mm -hmm. And we probably didn't have as many stresses on our gut health back then as we did today because we were hanging out in the dirt, you know. Yeah. Uh, diversifying our we microbiome. Like other little soldiers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had all kinds of, I, who knows, but um <laughs> that is interesting. And just to think of a real world example of that, I can think because we can all think of these people in our lives that have had fertility issues. And I can think of at least a couple people that I just knew very clearly um, had issues with um, trying to conceive and they're very stressed out, right? Like you said, because they feel like, oh, I, I really have to get this done. And so and immediately a couple things happened where I saw um, someone was um was notified that they were gonna get a baby through an adoption and then the next month pregnancy right because that mm -hmm. stress mm -hmm. kind of relieves i think the same thing happened another time someone actually did adopt actually i've seen that a couple other times yeah where they did adopt and then shortly later yep pregnant because that stress like all of a sudden because we do really put societal stress on people right like i'm sure there's people listening to this that are sick of being asked when are they are you going to get pregnant like 100 mm -hmm. right and so there i mean i love knowing that there's some science behind it and i hope that someone else can feel better now and maybe just like take a deep breath and realize it's not you and um, you really have to pour into a, maybe a little bit more self-care in, you know, like it's okay to slow down. So that way you can, um, you can get what you actually want. Right. Um, yeah. And, and calm that's, that down. Yeah. I think that's such an important message for, for people to hear. And I try to tell women too, is that, um, you know, when I describe that, like how that works, you know, on the hormone level um, with stress, definitely not saying it's your fault. Like you just need to relax. Like that's not the message. Mm -hmm. It's, um, we're, we're living in a different environment than when we were dealing with our stressors, we're getting chased by a tiger or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we didn't have the other types of stressors, which we don't typically think of like, you know, um, constant exposure to 
you know, uh, screen light, like the mm-hmm. blue lights, you know, in screen, which that actually messes with hormones and uh, melatonin production, which is a, which is a hormone particularly important for the reproductive system. But um, there's there's a lot of things that are just in our environment and in our modern world mm-hmm. that our, our body perceives as stressors. So it isn't just a matter of relaxing, mm-hmm. but it is a matter of like, trying to take like straws off the camel's back, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can just, um, you can, you don't have so many to deal with and you've got good strategies to help combat, you know, them. I love that. And I love that you're being comprehensive. And I always talk to people. Anytime I talk to people, usually I talk to them about, you know, taking out the four stress, like four stressors and then that environmental stressor is, is totally one of them too. And you're exactly right. I love that, that you, And that's why it's so nice to talk to someone else. And then they're coming up with all the other pieces as well. So that's good. And some things I think that a lot of people aren't even aware of the impact of blue light yet, you know, on melatonin. Um, I know it's becoming more popular. And we're kind of, we see that and we see more stories about it. But I still feel like it's pretty new, um, up and coming. And maybe people haven't, haven't heard about it that much yet. Yeah, melatonin production is just truly dysfunctional in, in the majority of the population, I will I will just say, you know, um, and I've seen that in practice and from testing it and, you know, and all sorts of things. But um, and that's such a key one. But there are like these like amber blue light blocking glasses that you can get off Amazon that are pretty cheap. And that's a nice option. And even like some of those apps are like blue light screen dimmers that are built into your phone now, like small steps like that can definitely help um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so how about, is there anything a woman should be aware of or on the lookout for if she's not yet trying to conceive, but planning for it on the future? Because no one really plans to have trouble with it, right? So um, what advice do you have for that woman? Yeah, I would say, number one, um, start tracking your cycles and get an idea of the length of them, what they look like, um, and start. you can start to develop some patterns. That's a, that's a good thing just to start doing. So you have some information. Um, and, uh, you know, get up and close, close and personal with your, your body. Really, there's some, some signs, you know, of, um, fertility that, um, women should know about and can really help you make some nutrition changes. Um, so one of them, and maybe your listeners didn't bargain that I was going to get into this, but, um, (laughs) one of them is, um, cervical mucus Mm -hmm. and you just making sure you see that every month and that that's, that's there because that's key for fertility. Um, and being high hydrated, um, eating enough fat and good fat sources like, you know, fish and, um, you know, your walnuts and, um, uh, you know, good, good quality source fats. Olive oil is a, is a, is a really good one. Um, so that as well as, um, protein, um, for cervical mucus too, um, also really important. So that, that's one step. I think if you're starting to think about, uh, pregnancy as well as just, um, there's a, a tool that I like, um, to kind of get a sense of what your diet looks like, um, called uh, chronometer and they have a free version of it. I'm not, i never used to be really into like tracking everything. I, I really prefer to teach the women I work with and clients I work with a more intuitive approach. Um, but if you want to get a sense of the gaps or holes in your diet, um, plug in a few days, you know, and don't be crazy, you know, crazy about it, but just like, you know, roughly plug in a few days, um, into chronometer and you can kind of see, 
where you're at and, and what's missing. It helps with targets. Yeah, I agree. I am not a huge tracker because I don't like to do it myself, but we need that data sometimes because otherwise mm-hmm. we're kind of like just, well, I'm not sure what's wrong because I don't have any data to look at. And as soon as you have that data, sometimes it's easy to see the gaps in the holes or, you know, if you track it and you don't see them, then ask the expert, right? Because they might be able to see something that you don't. That's very clear for us or maybe someone else. Very clear for mm-hmm. us, but um, mm-hmm. but not for them. So, yeah. And you know, one more thing to add to that that women could start doing if um, if you're motivated, it takes a little. Although there's a couple tools that can help with it. Um, you know, taking your your basal body temperature. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why that's helpful is if you are, if you've got a kind of consistently low basal body temperature, um, you know, that that can be a sign of kind of an underactive thyroid, a sluggish metabolism. And those things are, are things to, to help try to fix, you know, with diet, nutrition, and maybe medical intervention. Um, before you try to conceive because you will likely have some difficulty um, due to like the what I mentioned earlier metabolism being kind of shut down kind of lowers reproductive functioning you know so so that can give you some information too. Mm -hmm. Do people have is there and I don't know anything about this but it just made me think of this is there some genetic pieces to that puzzle a little bit as well? With like a lower basal body temperature? Well, in general, tendency. like genetics and fertility. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, I love like when, um, uh, you know, a woman are, kind of comes with like a 23andMe, like, you know, raw data file or something, but there are some really um, good, gen- some interesting genetic SNPs related to fertility. I mean, one that gets talked about quite a bit is MTHFR. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's quite a bit more to the, I don't know how deep we want to go into that here, but um, MTHFR, the BCMO1 um, gene, which um, relates to how you convert uh plant-based vitamin A versus animal-based vitamin A and whether or not you can do that well from plants. Um, that that's key. Vitamin A is a really important fertility nutrient. And so if I'm working with a vegetarian or a vegan, we may look at that gene and just make sure that um, needs are met, you know, if there's there's an, imbil- uh, an inability to, to convert very well or efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important. There's also a bunch of genes that can point to whether or not you get rid of excess estrogen um efficiently and so that that can be helpful to know and so our body's liver and and also our digestive tract is responsible for getting rid of excess estrogen um and that that's important to keeping everything else in in balance and sometimes we could be a little genetically compromised in that and nutrition comes in again um, because a lot of the ways that you can help your body get rid of um, detoxify, get rid of excess estrogen in this specific example is through key nutrients that support, you know, liver detoxification and gut health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have known that if I even mentioned genetics, it's like a whole other <laughs> can of worms. Duh. And I, I like I wanted I was just, you know, uh, virtually putting on nerd glasses when you're like, I just love when someone comes with their 23andMe raw data report so I can interpret I know. their Oh, genetics. gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it so funny. Um, yeah. I was thinking, okay, so we're talking a little bit about people before, before they're even thinking about becoming pregnant. Do you see an impact or do you see kind of a correlation or do you have concern 
about long-term birth control usage? Does that seem to impact things or does it mm-hmm. just kind of depend? How about people that are on, you know, regular birth or birth control pills? You'll have uh, a period every month that's maybe, you know, right on or maybe some don't, but then maybe IUDs, they don't have a, they don't have a menstrual period and our, nothing's really on accident with our body, right? So a period is a, like a necessary way that I guess our body, maybe I'm saying this wrong, but I guess kind of a way it detoxes a little bit. So do you see anything related to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so with the birth control picture, there's a lot of different options and a lot of different things. But if we take, for example, the hormonal birth control pill, which is probably the most widely used form of, you know, contraception, that that kind of there's a couple issues. Um, One, it depletes key fertility nutrients. Um, The longer you take it, the more depleted you tend to get. Um, So folate, B12, um, those are really important nutrients to go in with good stores to pregnancy with. Um, And if you've been on birth control for a while, you are likely depleted in those. Um, It also, I've heard, you know, birth control, especially the pill described as basically a sledgehammer to like your hormones. Like Mm. it just is so aggressive um, and it suppresses, you know, the nature of most of them is just to suppress, you know, a lot of a lot of hormones really significantly. Um, and and that that can be problematic, you know, um, it's it doesn't, t- you know, first of all, it can kind of cover up any underlying imbalances. Um, I know a lot of practitioners will say you can be on hormonal birth control long term. But I, I do think if you're thinking about conceiving, it's worth considering um, stopping a hormonal birth control option um, early, um, you know, six months, even a year, ideally, you know, prior. I know that sounds like a lot. Um, but just to start tracking your cycles to see what they look like, um, you know, because it can take a it can take a little while to start to normalize cycles um, if there's something awry. And, you know, I should say, I mean, like choosing a birth control option is absolutely every woman's decision. Um, but what what I feel like never gets never is told, you know, to women is that there there are other options like you don't have to do a, a, a hormonal or even non hormonal like IUD, like birth control option, like cycle tracking and sort of the fertility awareness method um, is really quite effective. And that's an option, you know, and um, there's ways to do that. And um naturally avoid pregnancy. So I just feel like I, you know, that, ne- that message never gets um, communicated. And so women should know that. Mm-hmm. Well, we like easy things, right? So um, yeah. And I mean, each to, yeah, right, each right. to his or her own for sure. But I think at the end of the day, exactly. like education is always our best defense. And so when you said kind of stopping hormonal birth control early, especially I would say if you've seen maybe a family history of any issues with conception, right, it might not be a bad idea. Um, cause that gives you extra clues about what might be, um, in play for you possibly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. So we talked about how stress impacts our hormones related to fertility. We talked about what women who are thinking about becoming pregnant should do. Um, are there other, and we talked a little bit about blood sugar balance, cortisol, metabolism. I think you wanted to mention a little bit about like oxidative stress and anything else, other pieces to the fertility puzzle that we kind of missed. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, just kind of broadly, I mean, oxidative stress um, is that can be a stressor. And that's a really broad term. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be a lot of different things. Um, it could be caused by infection, infections or like, you know, gut bacterial imbalances. Um, it could be caused by not having enough nutrients like antioxidants um, to help combat, like neutralize mm-hmm. free radicals that are produced just naturally every day by bodily processes and even the foods we eat. So um, so oxidative stress is a, is a broad term, but uh, it can be a stressor on the body. And so the biggest strategy there is to, to, to have a wide variety of colorful, you know, mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables and good whole foods, um, less processed. I think my biggest tip tends to be one of the first things that I work on with my clients is switching their types of fat, you know, from um, the predominantly processed vegetable oils that are really pervasive in our diet to um, more like extra virgin olive oil, maybe coconut oil, maybe maybe like a grass fed butter, um, just whole real fats versus mm-hmm. the more processed vegetable ones. So right. that I think is um, that that's the, the biggest uh, summary, I think, there for oxidative stress. Yeah, get a better balance of omega-6 versus 3. And that kind of mm-hmm. goes on. So oxidative stress is combated by eating more colorful fruits and vegetables, as Ayla said. But that goes back to a question I had before. Not really a question, but just a point. You were talking about how certain things can deplete. Well, birth control options sometimes can deplete. And this just hap- This is a side effect of medication. It can deplete nutrients. So, And you're probably, v- it's probably very fun for you. I know that you do micronutrient testing. So I bet you see this pattern often in your clients where you get to see, Mm -hmm. oh, they really do are deplete. It's not just on paper. It's like, oh, I get to see it in their blood um, that they are depleted of these particular things. Would you say that that's you see those patterns often? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You can, um, it's, there are very similar patterns, like, you know, because what, what happens is like, you know, the drugs, the medications are using certain pathways, certain, pa- uh, detoxification pathways, you know, in the body and that can be nutrient intensive. They can kind of suck up nutrients and take away resources. So to speak sort of like that pregnenolone shunt, right? Like it's a, it's a stealing of resources, mm-hmm. um, to, to process them. And, you know, this is probably is really important for women's fertility, but it may be even more important for male fertility. Um, sperm are very sensitive to oxidative stress. Um, they can't repair their membranes. <laughs> Talking to them like they're a person, mm-hmm. but uh, it's they're kind, kind of, of our person, uh, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so sperm. Um, mot- when it comes to male fertility, it's a little less complex, you know, than than women. The reproductive system is a little more simple um, in some ways, um, but. Um, the sperm motility and uh, quality um, that that all com- that com- that's really what um, comes into play with male factor fertility issues. And so the biggest way to really influence that is uh, antioxidants. Um, we just did an interview with a Cleveland clinic um, for, you know, a physician and, you know, there was a big research study on just walnuts, like a handful of walnuts with good, you know, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids mm-hmm. from like a whole food source um, was so supportive uh, to sperm health. And, uh, you know, oysters that are rich in selenium and zinc, those are so key for men. Um, lots of other foods too, if, if, uh, if, they, if you hate oysters, but, um, rich, colorful vegetables and fruit. Right. And just, also reducing alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how does alcohol kind of play in there? It just increases the oxidative stress, right? 
It does. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, alcohol directly increases cortisol levels. So it sort of, uh, it increases oxidative stress. So that's important for men. Um, but it also, uh, sub- creates that pregnenolone steel by keeping stress hormones high. We think of like, you know, alcohol as being relaxing, but it's actually, it's re- elevating cortisol levels. Um, so that, that's something to know too. Yeah. I did not know that. And so your recommendations to couples, do you have them just in general avoid alcohol or just make it very occasional, you know, yeah, thinking about the overall less stress thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, right. Like I, I think, um, <laughs> occasional works for most people or just like cutting back at the very least. And, um, but in, and sometimes this is like putting it into context, like how many straws are on the camel's back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it, you know, it just depends on where you want to spend your resources and alcohol just might not be worth it yeah. when you're trying to conceive. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's really up to the person, right? Like you just have to kind of decide, like judge your overall stress load and say, yeah, I might not be able to tolerate all these things. Like sometimes it's really about turning that inward and just really being honest with yourself. How, 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 how much is too much for me, right? Like in any, in any type of stress. Um, okay. So we've talked about men, we've talked about women, we've talked about preconception. So last thing is, does anything else come to mind for women that are really soaking up all this knowledge, but they're past childbearing age or they're done having children because, you know, some of these hormone conversations still kind of apply to a prevention of other issues, right? So weight loss, resistance, et cetera, to circle back around to that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I, and I do see women kind of throughout like the lifespan and, um, and there's a lot of kind of wacky hormonal things that can start to happen, you know, um, even beyond, yeah, beyond, you know, your, um, beyond the goal of, of becoming pregnant. And so, um, there's a lot of things that can be done nutrition and lifestyle wise and a lot of similar, really, you know, what, with the goal to restoring, uh, fertility is really to balance the reproductive system. So all of these things are um, supportive for women in general, you know. Um, and so I, I think I think that's that's key. And um, I, I do see increasingly so as women age, um, one of the primary stressors on their reproductive hormones is um, estrogen input. So things that act like um, they're kind of estrogen mimickers like mm-hmm. in the environment and that that's a big topic but you know it does have to do with um, you know pesticides pollution in in my um, group we kind of label it the four p's and I guess I'll talk about the group but um, the four p's being like pollution pesticides plastics and personal care products so cleaning up things there and maybe using the environmental working groups um skin deep database um they've got to have an awesome database um on products like that um starting to clean things up around there can just do wonders for your the stressor of those estrogen inputs and and for your hormones yeah absolutely i love that love 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 that um you know what you said there reproductive health is women's health really so yeah it goes through the whole lifespan so i know we were talking you know a little bit about the program right there and that's a tag team effort right or so tell us a little bit more about where people can find you overall and about this program if people are just so enthralled with everything you've been sharing today 
<laughs> yeah. So um, my ideal situation is to work with, um, you know, women and couples, you know, one-on-one or, or, or with both. And um, and you can find me for that type of work um, at bostonfunctionalnutrition.com. Um, I work with people locally, but also virtually all over the country. Um and so I, I do kind of strategy sessions to see um, if we're a good fit, get a little more information about your case, and um, and that's that's a good way to kind of feel it out before we we sign on together. And then um, I have a colleague, uh, Nicole Holovich, who's very talented, and she is also. Um, a dietitian working in the same space and her and I have collaborated on a project called nourish your fertility. And it started actually as a private Facebook group, which is still running. We actually launched that earlier this year. And then we've developed, um, and actually truly this is where it started because this was years in the making. (laughs) It was this, uh, nourish your fertility program. And you can find that at nourishyourfertility.com. And, um, we're really proud of it. It's a compilation of really like all of our best strategies and a lot of the work we do one-on-one, um, but in kind of a DIY format that's also supported with um, Q&A sessions with us and 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 that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you can check that out too. Awesome. That's wonderful. Okay. So Boston Functional Nutrition, the Nourish Your Fertility Facebook program and nourishyourfertility.com is where people can find you, right? That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Good. Well, thank you so much for dropping. Just I'm sure that any woman will be like, wow, because that's a thing. Like women are incredible. Like, well, we're all incredible beings and bodies, but like we, we have a lot of things going on. Right. And so, um, there's just so much we can always know about ourselves. We can always strive to learn a little bit more because when we know better, we do better. And so, um, so I think that, uh, you, you gave us a lot of places to start. Um, and you gave us a lot of, a lot of pieces, um, Oh, I have one more question. I forgot to ask you my signature question there because there was so <laughs> I wrote so many notes around it. I didn't even see it. You know, if you had to give like a one piece of advice to someone listening that definitely feels like he or she has some issues of any of the things we've been talking about, PCOS, whatever, you know, what's what would you tell them right now? Where can they start today to get to get going to like, you know, because sometimes we listen to this call and we're like, there's so much great information. You know, what's if you had to just distill it, what's the one thing you would tell someone to start with today? Yeah, well, broadly, I, I would just love if the main message I'm hoping is that um, women know or feel empowered, you know, that, you know, they can take their fertility in their own hands. There are cases where there are, you know, sort of issues that can't be reversed. But I think just know that and be your own advocate, you know, start there, you know, um, being your own health advocate and um, pushing back or trying to get a little more information from your healthcare provider um, on options, you know, for your fertility, it really is your decision. Um, So I think that that's huge. And, and also, um, it's not, you know, it's not super complicated. Oftentimes, Um, you know, I think a great place to start um, is balancing your meals, um, to help balance, uh, blood sugar regulation. So that's whether or not you have PCOS, whether or not you, you think you or us uh, or suspect you have blood sugar issues. I find most people could use a little bit of support with, with balancing those out. And that's a major, uh, stressor, you know, for people. So I think, um, balance is what I would say and just be your own health advocate and feel empowered you know that you there is a connection between fertility nutrition and lifestyle and and you can influence it 
Absolutely. And you don't have to take off, you know, you don't have to bite it all off at once and you don't have to do it by yourself. No. There's people like Ayla. Well, you know, really there's not a lot of people, but you guys are kind of the the progressive revolutionaries in this area a little bit. Um, and so there's people that will kind of break it down for you step by step. And sometimes it's just worth it to to get that help a little bit so you can also kind of reduce that stress and not be so worried about it and know that you're in good hands. And no matter what, listen to this episode again and take more notes and just decide on your own takeaways. Um, there's just a lot of good stuff here and share it, absolutely share it with a friend that you know could benefit as well. So thanks so much for coming on, Ayla. Um, it was a joy. I learned I learned a lot of things as well and that is why I love doing this and I love having this grown up time with people uh, and it's just great. So I appreciate <laughs> you so much. Thanks for having me, Krista. Yeah. 